Welcome to the Model Railway Show, the little show with big ideas about little trains. I'm Trevor Marshall. We hope to stir up the gray matter and turn on the creative juices as we continue to present thoughtful and accomplished guests. That's for sure, Trevor. Hi, folks. I'm Jim Martin, the other guy behind the microphone. One of the big ideas explored in this edition is using Big Track. Later in the show, I'll be talking with Neil Shore, whose layout is a successful mix of scale trains and scenery on high rail track. But first, you're going to want to make tracks, big ones, to the left coast this summer for the Blockbuster Train Show event of the millennium. Its organizers can guarantee it's going to be a show worth breaking the piggy bank for. Here now is Trevor and one of the great names in model railroading to tell us all about it. There's nothing quite like a model railway convention, and in North America, the big one is the NMRA's annual national convention. This year, it's called Extra 2011 West, and it's being held in Sacramento, California, July 3rd to 9th. If you look at our website, you'll find a link to the convention, and when you're on that site, take a look at the names on the convention committee. Many of these are well-known, enthusiastic, and talented modelers, including a few that have been interviewed for the Model Railway show already. Today we add another to that list. Jack Burgess is a name synonymous with dedication to prototype research and accomplished prototype modeling. I look at Jack's work on his HO scale Yosemite Valley Railroad, and I cannot imagine where he finds time to do other things. But he is also the publicity manager for Extra 2011 West. If you're still trying to decide whether to make the trip to Sacramento this year, Jack is here to tell you why this is a convention you do not want to miss. And if you've already booked your ticket and you're wondering what's in store, we'll give you a bit of insight into that, too. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, Jack. Thank you. On the website for Extra 2011 West, this event is billed as the unconventional convention. Can you explain that for us? Well, the first thing we did was we reduced the registration fee. For the first couple of years, it was $99. In September, we raised it up to $139, which is nearly $50 cheaper than previous conventions. The other thing we've done that is completely unconventional is everything is online. You can register online, you can sign up for tours, you can pay for tours, you can sign up for events. Everything can be done online. It lets you know immediately whether a tour or event that you're interested in is full or if it has space or maybe a second section has been added. We also have an advanced section, which is brand new. The advanced section will start on Friday before the convention starts and run from Friday through Sunday noon. And the advanced section is here in the Bay Area. It'll give you a chance to see a lot of layouts. There will be some industry tours. There will be some railroad tours. They will have a meal on the Franklin Roosevelt's presidential yacht on the San Francisco Bay on Sunday evening. So it'll be kind of like a mini convention that'll really get you going for the week-long event in Sacramento. Another thing that is unconventional is self-guided layout tours. And we're not talking just a few. We're talking every day there will be self-guided layout tours for people that prefer to get around themselves, carpool, whatever, instead of taking a bus. The layout tours, they've always been on the top of the list for many convention goers. Are there some favorites or some famous layouts that people are going to see? Sure. The advanced section, we're looking at around 55 layouts will be open, including my own. Jim Diaz models the WP. He lives about three blocks from me. He's had his layout published maybe two or three times. Dave Adams, Bob Brown, the editor of the Narrow Gage Shortline Gazette. Jim Vale, one of his columnists, is also going to be open. During the week itself in Sacramento, they're looking at about 140 layouts that will be open. Of those, about 80 are in HO. There are a dozen in N-scale, S-scale, and G-scale, and about two dozen O-scale layouts. Some of the ones that will be open during the week from Sacramento include Jim Providenza, who has done a number of articles, and Bill Kaufman, who is now modeling the State Belt line in San Francisco. 
One of the really different things that we are doing is there is a commuter rail between Sacramento and the Bay Area called the Capital Corridor, and we will be using that to bring people down to the Bay Area for layout tours. So you can come down on the train, and it's going to be a great way to get down here if you want to see some some great layouts. Sounds like a great idea. The other thing that I've always liked about the National Convention is the range of clinics that are on offer. What's lined up there? Any sort of theme that's going to be unique in Sacramento? Well, we're looking at about 200 different clinics. One of the things we're doing with clinics is we are really going after people we want to have clinics instead of kind of waiting around and having people call us. So there's going to be a lot of new clinics, several clinics that are going to be state-of-the-art type of stuff. One is on rapid prototyping. This is a technique where you draw something up in 3D CAD, and then that drawing is fed into a rapid prototyping machine, which is basically like an inkjet printer. But instead of printing something, it makes a three-dimensional master. And then from that, they can make lost wax castings. Another one is on getting started in photo etching. Another one is on custom modeling using a laser cutter. And that sounds kind of high tech, but I know at least two modelers here in the Bay Area that have their own laser cutters. There will be a clinic on train dispatching presented by a retired UP dispatcher. Another clinic will be on using the California State Railroad Museum library and archives, how to get information from them, find out what they have, get copies and so forth. Some of the presenters will include uh, John Signer. His clinic is going to be on Donner Pass and SP's Western Division, which is covered by one of his books. Tony Thompson will be talking about PFE operations. Bob Church has written uh, a couple books and will be talking about STEAM, SP STEAM. Tony Custer has a clinic on multi-deck layout design. Andy Sparandio will have a layout on understanding STEAM locomotive details. Bruce Chubb will be talking about, I think he has three clinics, talking about signaling your layout. Another one that sounds very interesting is people who have been around for a while will probably remember John Olson. He did a project layout for a model railroader years and years and years ago called the Jerome and Southwestern Railroad. He worked for his entire career for Walt Disney, and he knew Disney, Ward Kimball, all the animators and so forth. And when he was working for Disney, he was working at the theme parks in construction. Uh, he is now retired, but he's going to be do- doing a clinic on Disney trains and himself, uh, which should just be really great. Layout design will be covered. I think there's an entire day of layout design clinics. Another one is on operation timetable and train order operations, track warrants and dispatching, and another one on JMRI, which is Java Model Railroad Interface. A couple more that are a little on the different side. One of Bill Schomburg will be talking about Nevada County Narrow Gauge, which I have seen before is a, a great clinic. But after that clinic, the following day, he will be leading a bus tour of the Nevada County Narrow Gauge and stopping and showing where stations were, bridges were, uh, tour of the museum and so forth. And finally, Richard Hendrickson, in addition to doing a clinic on freight cars, is going to do a clinic on wine tasting. So that's true California. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to that one. In addition to the clinics and the layout tours, what are some of the other highlights that the committee is particularly excited to be presenting at the convention? Well, beyond clinics and layout tours, we're doing a lot of stuff with the California State Railroad Museum. If you've never been there, it is a fantastic museum probably one of the best in the world. And what I like about it it is not a barn full of restored equipment or unrestored equipment. Everything has been restored to a particular date and is on display in context. So, for example, there is a Virginian Truckee engine and a coach which is going across a bridge from that railroad, uh, a full-size bridge. On the second floor, there is a freight train, uh, an engine, one or two car, yeah, tank car, box car, and a caboose on the second floor on a what appears to be a trestle bridge. 
some of the things they're going to be doing for us. One day will be an early entry to the museum. If you go during normal hours, you know, you can take pictures with flash, but you've always got people in your way and so forth. They will open the museum early and people can bring tripods and shoot pictures. They'll drop the uh, ropes down so they're not in your picture and so forth. They will have a shop tour. The SP shops were right behind where the museum is now and are slated to become part of their railroad technology museum. And so they are going to do a presentation on the shops, the history of the shops, and then take people out and let them see the shops themselves. Another one, which is kind of interesting, is uh, crossing gates. They have a standard gauge railroad that's associated with the museum that runs down along the levees on the Sacramento River, and it crosses a number of public grade crossings. So they're going to start by talking about crossing protection and then put everybody on a train and take them down and let them see and understand how crossing gates and crossing signals work. Another one is what it takes to get a steam engine ready to run, you know, starting from a cold engine and uh, getting that engine ready to take people on a one of their tours. That all sounds great. I'm looking forward to this convention, Jack. I have to tell you, my ticket is already booked, so I'll see you there. And I know that I'm going to need a week after Extra 2011 West just to recover. Jack, thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show to tell us about it. Well, thank you. I've been speaking with Jack Burgess, the publicity manager for this year's NMRA National Convention. It's called Extra 2011 West. It's in Sacramento, California, July 3rd to 9th, and you'll find a link to all the convention information on our website. Thanks, guys. I have to say, this is the kind of show that attendees should do some advanced planning for. It's just that big. Otherwise, you're going to feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. You just won't know where to start. Well, if you're planning to take a bite out of Extra 2011 West, we suggest you start by going to the links on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. And speaking of our website, Trevor and Otto continue to tweak themodelrailwayshow.com, making it better and more informative with each passing month. When you visit, be sure to check the link to our photo gallery on Flickr. And you can also look for links to our photo collection on our episode listings. And find us on Facebook. Coming up next, scale models on three-rail track. A marriage made in heaven or a shotgun wedding? Here's Jim with his guest. It can be fun, informative, and maybe even a little dangerous to check out alternate ways of doing things in this hobby. For instance, what if you labored mightily on your track work, hand-spiking Code 83 rail, only to then hear the siren call of three-rail? Three-rail? The stuff Lionel trains run on? Couldn't happen? You like scale trains too much? Well, finding a guy like our next guest could perhaps initiate such a sea change moment. Neil Shore has a piece of the Pensy in his basement. Exquisite O-scale models moving through beautifully executed scenery, rolling along on three tall rails. Neil's three-rail Pennsylvania Middle Division was featured in the 2007 edition of Model Railroad Planning. Neil also contributed a piece on applying civil engineering practices to the Model Railroad right-of-way in the book How to Build Realistic, Reliable Track. So, if it's good enough for those two combat publications, then you have to figure it's not your daddy's Lionel anymore. Neil Shore, welcome to the Model Railway Show. I must say you have a big, beautiful layout that it's a delight to look at. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I enjoy the layout. Uh, I've been working on the layout for over 13 years now, and it's sort of a lifetime project. Does reliable running come with that three-rail track? Yeah, that was one of the reasons I went to the uh, three-rail trains. I was an HO for a long time, but I got tired of adjusting KD coupler heights and dealing with polarity. I'm into signal systems, and the two-rails is a lot harder to signal than the three-rail. So the three-rail had a lot of advantages for me, and reliability is near the top of the list. So you didn't have to do a lot of hard things. 
thinking to turn your back on HO scale and go the semi-scale route then? I thought about it a little bit. Uh, what happened was the trains, so when I made the decision to switch, were kind of changing from the toy-like models that were made back in the 50s into basically scale models made to run on three-track. And I saw a couple of layouts that I thought were pretty credible representations of model railroads using the three-rail trains, and that's when I decided to make the, the uh, switch. Yeah, We've got a hobby shop, well, maybe an hour's drive from where I live, and I, I visit occasionally, and I, I look at those big three-rail beauties, and I can see the attraction, Neil. I really can. Where does three-rail fit into the model railroading hobby? Is it, is it holding its own or growing? There seems to be, as I mentioned, a huge range of scale rolling stock available. It really exploded about 15 years ago. I think a lot of that was with Mike Strainhouse, and he Lionel was still making the toy-like trains, and he started making more realistic trains. And I think he tapped the market there, which Lionel had sort of ignored, and it just really exploded. I think it's leveled off over the last couple of years. I think between the economy and the market getting a little saturated with these trains. But I think it's holding its own right now. And there's certainly a lot of younger guys in our area here who are into the three-rail as well. And I think they'll keep the hobby going. You model Pensy. Uh, have you had much uh, trouble uh, duplicating the uh, kind of uh, rolling stock that Pensy ran, or is that a bit of a compromise? Pensy's probably one of the easiest ones. Uh, Pensy's usually number one on the list in any scale of the most popular road name. So they've made almost every Pensy engine that the prototype had you can get in a three-rail model. So no, it's actually been a piece of cake. I think you've already alluded to this, but the use of three-rail track on an otherwise scale layout uh, shouldn't be seen as a compromise for you, should it? I mean, incorporating the three-rail spec into your layout actually is an enabler for you. You've mentioned the fact that it makes signals easier for you, for example. Can you tell us how? Well, when you have two rails, the only way to really activate the signals is using a current sensing device. And that's a problem because unless you put metal wheel sets in all the cars with a resistor between them, you can't detect anything other than the engine and the caboose if it's lighted. So I, on my old HO layout, I had instances where the train was longer than the block and I would lose detection of it. Then there's other issues with dirt on the wheels. Where the three rails, you're really just providing power through one of the outer rails and the center rail so that extra outside rail is used to activate the signal circuits. And it works just like the prototype. Now, scenery is your other love. Did the decision to use three rail help you get trains running sooner and, and therefore give you more time for scenery? I can't say that, but the time saving is in the fact that oh, the, the trains come assembled and uh, the command control is already installed. I don't have to spend my time doing that. Now, I do know with uh, looking at the HO market, now the trains are starting to come with a DCC decoders installed. But at least at the time I made the decision, that wasn't the case. So there's, there was a lot of time savings to be had more with the trains, not so much with the instructional layout, and that, that's helped further the scenery. Track of scenery, too. I, I thought your understanding of civil engineering illustrated in the book how to build realistic, reliable track, while it would certainly be useful for those with scale track, it also highlights the true potential of three rail in, in a scale setting. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it has. I will tell you that my model civil engineering standards in the layout are probably higher than any of the two rail guys I know in the area. I have broader curves, and I think my track configuration more closely represents the prototype. I try to keep my track centers real tight, and this part has nothing to do with whether it's two or three rail, but I accurately engineer cuts and fills and drainage, and all that enhances the realism of the layout, regardless of number of rails. You just made me think of a story, and I, I hope I'm getting the, the, the correct modeler, but I believe it 
was Alan McClelland, who had a flood in his basement. And because he designed the proper drainage systems into his scenery, the water essentially ran off the layout where it should. Anyway, would scale modelers be surprised at the uh, improvements in appearance of three-rail track? It's really come a long way from the tubular rails on on tin ties with the 31-inch diameter curves. How would you describe the appearance of modern three-rail track? It's basically scale track with just a third rail in the middle. The real breakthrough was the Atlas track, which came out just as I was starting the layout. All that was available up to then was a Gargraves track, which has been around since, I I think, the 1940s. It's not bad, but the ties are too big. Then the Atlas came out, and it had an accurate cross-section. It was solid rail. The ties were the scale width, and then they came out with the geometrically correct turnouts. They came out with seven and a half and fives. So I was very fortunate. The stuff came out just as I was getting ready to start laying track. So all my track has a prototype appearance. But, yeah, to answer your question, the three-year-old track today is quite realistic. It's not like the toy-like stuff from the past. Which I guess leads to the next question. I really like the way your three-rail track integrates so well into its scale surroundings. Is it the broad curves and the weathering of the track or the fact that the Pennsylvania Railroad also ran on some pretty heavy rail anyway? I think it's the broad curves and the weathering. The one thing is I use an airbrush to weather all the track. I use railroad tie brown for the ties, of course, and rail brown for the rail. And you get the overspray on the base and the center rail, and it blends it right into the ties, and it really helps to disguise the appearance. If you don't weather it, the problem is you have that black rail which contrasts against the light ballast. It doesn't look good. When you airbrush it, it just kind of blends in. I don't even notice it. You know, looking at photos of your track, to me it almost looks like that dark oil stain that you get up the center of the track anyway when the the diesels are working out of the traction motors. Well, it does. And, you know, I've thought about airbrushing the center rail again with some, like, oily black or something. I haven't done it, but I do think your observation is correct. Are the custom track builders... I was at the Springfield show a few years back, and I seem to recall someone showing off a number 10 switch and three rail, and I thought, wow, there's something going on here. Do you know of anybody custom building track? Yeah, you're referring to Ross Custom Switches, and they make a very nice product, too. Their product was out before the Atlas. The ties are more like the Gargraves are wider, but he makes a, a very broad selection of turnouts. And in fact, I have several of his turnouts on the layout. My first interlocking... I used his turnouts. I used number eights on there. This is right before the Atlas came out with the seven and a halfs. And on my yard throat, I have curved turnouts. And I know he's making the number tens now, too. So, yeah, he has a quite a variety of unique track configurations available. How do other model railroaders react when they see your layout for the first time? Any detractors? Well, a lot of people come over. They I, I give clinics about the layout. I really don't even talk about the fact that it's three-row. I don't think they ever notice. And they come over to the house, and they're kind of surprised. Although I think over the years the word has gotten out, I get a lot of ribbing, but when we have uh, Anamore layout tours here in the Pittsburgh area, I always get about the biggest turnout of anybody. People like to come over and see the layout. They really enjoy it. I'm sure, though, when people come over here, they sort of mutter as they leave the house, why did this uh, yo-yo use three-rail track instead of two-rail track? So I always wonder about that, but... I enjoy it, so I don't really care. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully they're listening to this interview and they get some insight. One last question. I know your young son and daughter like to run your trains. Is this a good way to introduce young hands and eyes to scale model railroading? Yeah, it is. My kids have really gotten interested in this. My son's been interested since he was about, oh, three years old. I remember going under the layout, putting it in the turnout machines, and he would hand me screws while I was on my back. My daughter, who's now seven, has also gotten interested in this. In fact, we were just downstairs a little while ago scraping glue off the railhead where I put down some ballast. She really seems to enjoy it. The one thing I've noticed is most of my friends in HO from the NMRA, they're older fellows, 
But a lot of my three-year-old friends, they're young guys with young kids, which I find very, it makes me feel good because I think that the three-year-olds attracting some younger people to hobby, which we obviously desperately need. Good point and encouraging news. Neil Shore, thanks for showing us the full creative potential of building scale layouts in three-year-old. It's been a treat having you here on the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it. And I'm uh, letting me get the word out about the three-year-old trains. Well, Jim, it makes you think that with the improved appearance of three-rail track, Neil's approach could also be a viable alternative for aging scale hobbyists whose sight or physical coordination are not what they used to be. For sure, Trevor. And taken with your interview with Mike Kogel a while back on fine-scale track modeling, I think we've pretty neatly bookended the wide array of choices and approaches in model railroading. By the way, our thanks to Neil Shore for putting up with a number of false starts to our interview while we sorted out some sound quality problems on our end. He's not only a good modeler, but a good sport as well. Yeah, you said it. And this quick update before we leave you. A while back, we talked about an estate planning kit for model railroaders. In addition to the National Association of S-Gagers, the CN Special Interest Group's website offers a similar document. So if you've been unable to find the NASG document, check out the link in our show notes to the CN SIG. Well, that's it for this time around. Our thanks to the rest of the team, Otto Vondrak, Dave Woodhead, and Chris Abbott. What's next, Trevor? Well, next time out, we've got Jim Providenza. He joins us as we steal the Wayback Machine and journey to the formative years of command control. And Peter Cunningham explains why he feels when it comes to recruiting fresh blood to the hobby, we've been chasing the wrong demographic. For Jim Martin, I'm Trevor Marshall. Thanks for riding the rails with us here on The Model Railway Show. Music.